Welcome to another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I guide women into the mysteries within to rise rooted into their sovereign self. And today I have Tannis Fishman on the show with me. Tannis Fishman is a mystic healer and a mother consciously embodying her spirit in order to walk the holy householder life with more ease and grace. Her life's mission has been to understand and know directly who and what we are as human beings. Through her own spiritual awakenings and reemergence after a total nervous system breakdown, she compassionately guides others through journeys that span multiple timelines to bring into awareness layered self-identities for psycho-spiritual integration and transformation. When the unseen is seen and embodied, awakening to choice becomes possible. She has dedicated over 15 years of her life to bringing the Yoga Nidra teachings to yoga teachers, seekers, body-mind practitioners, school teachers, therapists, and healers. In 2017, she founded the School of Sankalpa, a body of work that includes yoga nidra teachings that directly explore the who am I, as well as core belief systems that explore who I am not. Can't wait to sink into this episode with you. Welcome, Tanis. And so to start, what has been the journey, the story that has brought you to the work that you are offering the world today? Okay. Uh, first, Lisa, I want to thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. And it's such a pleasure to, to see you and be in connection with you. Okay. Probably like most people that are uh, in the position of supporting other people through healing work or teaching um, my life's journey has been the path that's led me to the work I do. So through the direct realizations, through the breakdowns, through the explorations and the, the questions I'm asking myself, um, I, I, I began what as I reflect back, it's, it uh, comes to me like a hero's journey. And um, what ignited me to begin my search, to leave my nest and go out into the world searching and really embracing the seeker archetype um, was feeling really underfulfilled and, and yeah, underfulfilled with, with the answers to the questions I was asking. Um, I just, I knew there was more to this life experience than I had access to and I needed to understand. As I layer that in with um, the healer archetype, 
I see that it was really birthed out of this core wound of being an unconscious birth. So not being chosen. And that actually was a, that runs down the maternal ancestral line, which I, uh, in the last few years was something that I had direct experience of and, and needed to heal. But at the time when I set out on my journey, that was absolutely not not in view. And I wasn't, um, yeah, I had no access to that information and I wasn't interested in healing. I was interested in seeking. And so, um, yeah, set out and, and met the people I needed to meet. Um, there were some very significant swamis on my path that guided me to the uh, Bihar, Bihar school where I first encountered the yoga nidra teachings. And that was a really foundational point, which in my offerings today is, uh, it's like the, it's, it's the base that, that supports my work. And then there were direct realizations of, um, unity consciousness and that again informed the stuff I do today. Uh, and then there, there were breakdowns in, in my householder life, um, coming into the archetype of the mother. And um, having to really face uh, the shadow and the unconscious in myself and my programmings. Um, I had to reparent myself. And this was um, through, really it was from the, the birth of my second child where it was a mixture between uh, a traumatic birth, which on paper, it looked amazing. It was a full, full natural birth, but there were moments in that birthing process because uh, it was unassisted and I, I it was me and my husband. And, um, but there were moments in my internal experience um, where I went into terror and that was, that uh, led to uh, the beginning of PTSD, which I didn't even know I had. And that with the onset of uh, the breakdown of my marriage, all going on at the same time with a child that never slept and then having to parent my other child. So it was just, uh, it was a very overwhelming time. But um, that really informed what I'm doing today as well. It's really an integration between the psycho-spiritual um, integration. I think I just said that twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then um, uh, how to merge, how yeah, how to merge the paths of the seeker and the healer. And that was a really big um, 
That was a really big moment when, when it was one of my teachers that I studied with in the last two years that said to me, the, the seekers need to heal their self-distortions and the healers need to awaken to their true nature. And, and both these paths, when they're married together, really lead to wholeness. And that was, that was like a really um, profound moment when, when I, and when I realized actually that when the, when the seeker, um, when my seeking was fulfilled and, and this was another experience, um, having direct realization of the, I am when that was fulfilled and I was no longer searching for myself, which is a spiritual journey, but underlaid with a core wound. Um, then I began the path of healing self distortions and, and the programmings, but I wasn't interested in doing that uh, while I was in the archetype of the seeker. And so I, I think that it's a combination of, of all of that, the, when I was seeking for, for who, who I am and, and then healing, um, healing my past and having to grow up and reparent myself consciously, really in order to parent my children and embracing the mother as well. So kind of a combination of all that leads me to what I'm, yeah, the work I'm doing. And um, I think it, it, one of the big things was in one of my realizations, my higher consciousness turned me around, like reoriented the direction I was going. And I realized I realized the directional shift was really key, like to turn and face and to face and to face and to go in and to feel and to go in, 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 in until there is nothing left. And that was really important. So uh, I think that's what I'm, I'm able to support others with is to reorient their search and then guide them through a healing process to find what they're looking for. And that mm -hmm. really is um, the foundational teachings of Sankalpa. Beautiful. I love that turning around and going within and within and within. It's almost like that, like when everything else falls away, what's left, that like truth that resides deep within the within the bones but sometimes our journeys like take us where we're seeking outside and then it's like no you have to go you have to go within to meet all the layers and the shadows and the programming and the clutter to come to that that point where just you remain in in your truth how does so yoga nidra that's how our paths aligned was I did my yoga nidra training many years ago when I just found sobriety. Um, and so that was a pivotal, pivotal moment on my path for sure. And so does yoga nidra 
first, what is yoga nidra for everybody listening? And how does that, how can that be um, like a practice to support you on going within and meeting the layers within? Can that meet you in those spaces? Okay, good question. So yoga nidra is, so it's, it's a practice and it's a state of consciousness. It's a practice in that you lie down and uh, you're guided from start to finish. And, and by holding on to an auditory channel and guided through a really systematic format that's moving from the grossest um, level of experience through the physical body to the subtlest, densest, to really the causal body. And the auditory channel is an anchor for somebody to hold their attention on as they're guided through these veils of experience to eventually, or throughout the practice at any time, eventually turn their attention onto their own awareness. And that off that happens more easily in a state of relaxation. It can happen at any moment, but because the mind, the, the mind field for many of us is so active and it's, it's often such a strong interfere, interference field that what is always present and our awareness is absolute, unchanging, always here, but direct um, connection with it and attention on it. Often we need a formal practice to help us cultivate that skill of touching it directly. So it's a practice, but the yoga nidra is a state of consciousness in, in which we're, we're connected. Um, yeah, that our attention is placed onto our awareness and, and that's coming into a state of presence. And, and um, that can be really profound to just experience yourself as nothing, as no thought, no feeling, no um, sensation, um, no suffering. And this happens in deep states of sleep, dreamless sleep. And that's why they call it the bliss state because um, consciousness is, is not experiencing itself against anything else. And so it's not limited, it's limitless. And we're not time bound because we're experiencing a form. And so uh, in Yoga Nidra, we have that opportunity to consciously experience what we go into in deep sleep. And that's when you have a deep, deep sleep, you wake up and you feel amazing. And that's the same in Yoga Nidra when you really uh, land into the aware state of relaxation, you come out and you're totally restored and you've reoriented yourself on your own awareness, your self, um, 
uh, you're aware centered instead of object centered or instead of, you know, object meaning thought or memory, whatever. Um, and I'm just trying to now relay this back to your question. Um, what was your question? <laughs> Sorry. I think it's like, for me, what it feels like is like, there's like the, the seeker, you know, where it's like, when we go into yoga nidra states, we're not in our physical form. We're, we're in our physical form. We're in our body, but we're going to like a place of pure potential that doesn't, it's not where we're at in our humanity. You know, when we're like walking around on this planet, when the emotions come up and the feeling tones come up and we meet discomfort or pain, yoga nidra is very different from that where we're maybe not in that like embodied on the earth plane. Is that fair to say? Like we're more in that, like the quantum field, pure consciousness. And so I know it on my journey, I was like seeking, seeking outside of the self, like kind of going into these blissful states of pure consciousness, but then I wasn't meeting the emotions and the feelings that were presenting themselves. And they're such a guide into the truth within. And so I think my question was kind of like, can yoga nidra be a path to that deeply embodied state into the body? Or is that something completely separate where it's like we meet those spiritual realms and then we use other practices to go into the body, into the emotions, to sit into the discomfort? Okay. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. Um, so yes, so uh, let me just sit with this for a moment to, to, to feel into how to, what became really evident to me as, as I shifted from teaching group trainings to doing more one-on-one -on -one privates and was I could really get a like the the insider on how is the per practice really supporting somebody in their life because when you're teaching group trainings all the time you teach to the group mind and the group heart but in a sense it has to stay quite impersonal so when I started to do more one-on-one -on -one, realized and and in myself as well, when I was a seeker, then I was using, I was tapping into the, the, the unified field all the time and going into um, either non-ordinary states of experience or going into, or, or becoming awareness itself. And and yet when I came out and was in my social world and in the, in the mothering role, it wasn't enough. It wasn't doing enough. And so this became a deep inquiry for myself. How can the practice really support a deeper level of embodiment in the waking world 
And that is currently what I'm so focused on. And so it, it, it calls a lot of people that are initially drawn to yoga nidra are the ones that want to get out of here. They want to escape. They need a refuge and it can do that. Or so, or some people just want to go to sleep. They need help sleeping and that's really important. So the practice can meet you at those, um, for those needs. But if you're using, if you're using the practice to continuously escape, it's, yeah, it's, um, and you might be getting better at getting into the yoga nidra state, but actually uh, not embracing your life, your waking state very well. And so I think it has huge potential to create the foundation to become a very conscious, skilled, masterful human being. Um, but often you have, if, if you were using it to escape, or if you're using it to fall asleep, you have to, again, reorient yourself to the practice and, um, and use it for embodiment. So what I, um, what I started to do is recall. So after the rotation of consciousness as part of the practice, and then you come into whole body awareness or, um, really focusing on recalling that state in the waking state so that you're pervading and inhabiting your body as much as you can throughout the day. And then um, the real key one too, of taking yoga nidra kind of off the mat into, into physical life is the opposite sensations. Um, and navigating the realm of polarity in being connected to the witness consciousness so that everything that you're feeling, every emotion that arises, every thought that arises, you're, you're deeply engaged in it. You're owning it, but not in a sense that it's your self-identity, but you're owning it because it's showing up in your field. And that was a really key point. When I was a seeker, when I was a seeker, I still am in some capacity, but um, I'm a recovering seeker. <laughs> but the witness consciousness for, for how I was identified, I was identified with the witness consciousness, even though wit witness consciousness is, it has no identity, but as a seeker, it was my identity. So I would witness everything, but I, I was actually disassociated. And so emotions were arising, but I was um, reject in the sense rejecting them because I was really trying to be equanimous with everything. In that my being equanimous, it was like pretending that those emotions actually weren't arising and I was okay with everything. Um, now the witness consciousness, um, the qualities of the witness consciousness is that every, it's all inclusive, everything. 
there's space for everything to come in. And this was always the teachings, but how I was interpreting it as a spiritual seeker, um, it was an identity. And so um, taking yoga nidra off the mat, the witness consciousness, it's the, it's a all encompassing field that has the capacity to feel everything without judgment. And that's so key without judgment and without identity. Now, this is very different than living with the filters of the mind being the ultimate truth. So if an emotion arises, my awareness, which is identityless, um, my awareness is identified with that program. And I don't want to feel those emotions because that program, I don't, that program is threatening to me. But when you're in the witness consciousness, all thoughts are embraced. Emotions, sensations, feelings, memories, it all has room and space in the, in the field. And it takes a lot of courage and bravery to feel this is different than stretching your hamstrings and feeling, you know, the, like that sensation you're feeling your self distortion. It is extremely personal. And, and we've, this is, uh, I mean, this is for all of us. Um, uh, we've grown up with strategizing and learning how to cope without feeling what we don't want to feel. And then basing our entire life's reality around creating, um, kind of this, this, mm, like this fortress of how to navigate our life to stay safe and protected. And now like to actually go in and feel this is big work, but we can do, yeah. Taking, um, the witness consciousness is so key. And that we can practice over and over and over. Yoga Nidra is a sustainable practice. You know, some practices like ceremony, you can't do them every day. You're not going to, um, medicinal journeys, they take you to the unified fields very easily, very fast, but you can't do those every day. They're not sustainable. Yoga Nidra is a daily sustainable practice where you can touch and, and connect to the witness consciousness. Now, that was my thing was, okay, I could do yoga nidra every day. And then I'd go into my householder life and it wasn't helping me. I was getting rest, but it was not helping me. And the practice was limited. I wasn't able to touch what I needed to touch and I needed to do more shadow work. Now, because I did more shadow work and reparenting myself and all of that, I am trying to now bridge it into yoga nidra. So the, the places that yoga nidra wasn't touching, I'm trying to figure out now, how can those be touched in a way while being supported by the principles of yoga nidra, so. Beautiful, beautiful. What it felt like for me was that like inviting all aspects of the self to the table, you know, like, taking yoga nidra off the mat felt like that really 
deep presence and awareness of all facets that are showing up, all emotions, all shadows. I always think of us as humans, we're very multifaceted and we have all these different layers to us. And it's like, we can invite all of those to the table and give all of them space, all the emotions and that yoga nidra practice off the mat can be honoring and witnessing all of it and, and deeply acknowledging all of it, all of this human experience. What did the distortions look like? Are there kind of like main distortions that humanity is sifting through at this time or is it very unique to each person does anything come to mind with the the distortions that we're all piercing through um the i think that there yeah there there are very core ones in in the way that we're designed and we have very basic core needs as infants and throughout our developmental um, childhood path. Those core needs uh, need to feel safe and need to be acknowledged, like seen, heard, acknowledged, um, need to be uh, chosen, like chosen no matter what, like unconditionally chosen. Um, accepted. Um, and like with chosen comes like valued and um, yeah. And, and to have a sense of with safety is trust as well as uh, like a secure sense of safety. And then, so these are like the, the, the core needs, like attention is so key. Attention placed where, where so if uh, the parents or the guardians or whoever is the primary caregivers, if their attention is not placed uh, and their like full attention is not placed, then a child like myself will grows up not knowing where they are. And, and that could also like, it's so layered. I'll get back to this too, because I, I'm, I also like to see it in just the multiple layers that it really is. It could also be that um, you are disoriented because you're not from here and in you're incarnating from different places and you come in totally disoriented and it just is set up in a way that your childhood experience is mapped in that way to give you that disorientation. So you spend your life looking for your home. You spend your life looking to belong. If you were abandoned as a child, that's a core wound. If you're abandoned, rejected, you spend your whole life looking for, um, you know, secure attachment, or you look for support. Um, and so these core, these core needs, which aren't met, 
And there's no judgment on this. Like maybe I would have had judgment on this when I first started studying core beliefs and I wasn't a mother. And now that I'm a mother, I have no judgment on this because, and also the way that our society is set up, it just, it's, it sets us up for failure. We're like, if we were growing up in, in the support of the village and everyone is raising your kids, everyone is helping each other, then I think, um, the consciousness of the children would be very different, but we're growing up in a failed system. And so the core needs are not being met. The parents, the guardians, whatever, are like stressed beyond overwhelmed. And so the consciousness of the children, um, so that becomes a core wound, the core need unmet becomes the core wound and the core wound is so um, highly protected in a sense because it's life-threatening at that time and then the psyche starts to um, structure itself in a way to keep the core wound protected so that we don't have to feel that or face it as truth and and it's not ultimate truth but it is what is during that time. And it's, and it's at the level that the child psyche is taking in the environment. So it's not that the child is looking around saying, Whoa, my parents are really stressed financially right now. And so their attention isn't on me. And so it's okay. It's not there. There's not that awareness level. So the, the child psyche would be creating. It's almost like, um, Mm, it's, it's like a kink in the psyche in a sense. And, and the thought forms maybe that could develop from there is it's better to, it's safer to not be seen or, um, I don't matter. And that's okay. Like that's the truth. I don't matter. And that becomes thought forms that are generated out of the core wound. And then um, there's feelings and emotions. The core wound has feelings and emotions, but so does the thought form. I don't matter. That has feelings and emotions as well. And that creates a distortion field in the mind and body, and it becomes a lens of perception. So, you know, then you grow up and your conscious mind is desiring to be seen and heard by the world and furthering your career or whatever. But the subconscious mind is holding on to, I don't matter. So it's, there's, um, it's incongruent. The levels of mind are incongruent and you're fighting against yourself. And that whole dynamic is a distortion because underneath it all is the pure awareness and somebody's journey, you know, they might have to walk a long journey of trying so hard to be seen, put themselves out there, try to, um, they might, and, and this is where two people could have the same core wound, but how it gets played out is totally unique and different. So somebody might, um, achieve 
like every, every possible achievement that you can, you can have, they, they might go after that, like uh, to get a total successful career, but underneath it, they're still deeply suffering. They're underfulfilled and somebody else might take more the, the, um, the direct route of, I don't matter and stay so small, like stay behind the scenes the whole time they're supporting everyone else but they're feeling underfulfilled and they're suffering. And so it's, it's um, these mental distortions become the, the way we see ourselves and the way we think others see us and the way we define the world. And so um, the path to really healing the self distortions is actually to turn around because the mind becomes an expert thinker in staying away from the core wound. And that was a really key piece that I had to recognize in myself because I was searching for myself. I was searching for the I am, and I took the spiritual path. And so I became an expert in, um, uh, in who I was not. I'm not my thought. I'm not my emotion. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not this. I'm not that. And that is true. Ultimately, that is true. But that was actually a mental distortion. And I wasn't owning anything. I wasn't owning any emotion. I wasn't owning any thought. And the way to recognize and locate the, the self, which is nothing. It's not a self-identity. It's an, it's an, it's a pure, pure awareness. And, and I was, um, yeah, the way to do it was actually the opposite, the complete opposite of what I was doing. So I had to own everything. I had to own my thoughts. I had to own my feelings. I had to own my emotions. I had to own everything that, um, I had previously said was not me. And so um, we have to face the expert. We have to face our own expert, our own strategy, our own way of coping and, and start to turn inward on what, what we had created out of safety and protection from a really like honest place of the child. But if we wanna deeply heal and, and come into our wholeness, we have to turn around and walk back through the path of the feelings, emotions, thoughts, sensations, to touch the core wound, to feel the core wound and know that we're still alive. I can feel I wasn't chosen. I wasn't chosen. I was an unconscious birth to really feel not being chosen, but without any victimhood in it. It's just, it, it is what is to feel it. And when, and underneath that is most likely what we're searching for. So we think it's an outer path. And sometimes we do, we need to walk the outer path. We need to walk the outer path until we come to our own dead end only to realize, wait a sec, that's not actually, that's not it. 
And then we can turn around and walk the inner path. Beautiful. I love that coming to our own dead end. And was that moment for you with the birth of your second child where the universe kind of, in my experience, it was like the universe ripped the rug out from underneath my feet and was like, you can't go this way anymore. You have to turn around um, and go, go within like the, the universe kept on recreating core traumas in my life. So I could see them from a different perspective, but essentially feel them and go, go into them. So was that dead end for you, the birth of your second son? No, that uh, the birth of my second son was, um, uh, that was so important in what, what came about because that, that, that started the embodiment journey. Um, so that was so key, but my dead end actually came when I met my husband and I didn't know that, um, I didn't, I didn't know that I had kind of all my eggs in one basket. Uh, I, I, yeah, I did not know that I was holding so strongly onto meeting the one, but deep inside, I, what was so familiar to me was like, oh, if I just, if I just meet the one person on this earth that just truly gets me, gets all of me, understands me. Cause, um, I was very often growing up, this is how I kind of describe it. Like everyone was playing the soccer game, a football game, soccer game, <laughs> wherever you're living in the world. Um, and I was always standing on the sideline, like looking, looking at the game and everyone's playing and everyone's like so into it. And now that I look back, I'm like, okay, cause my I, my sense of self wasn't, uh, I was disoriented. So I never belonged anywhere, but then, uh, growing up too, the conversations that people seem to be so engaged in, I, I had no relation to what was being talked about. And so I just had inside of me, oh, if I just meet that one person, that just so gets, gets it, gets me. And, um, and I did. And, and, um, and we met and we met in, we're on a very, um, and he's the father of my second child. So I was in partnership with um, my first son's dad for 12 years, but never really, never totally in. I was always like one foot in, one foot out. And I never chose him. And that was a big a theme in my life is I never really made choices. People always made choices for me. And they told me, mm, they would tell me what to do. And I would just go along with it because I never made choices. And this also goes back to the I am wasn't located. So the choice maker in me just wasn't located. And then when I was on this spiritual journey, 
and I met um, my husband in Jerusalem. And uh, yeah, he he was the one person that that um, I didn't even have to talk. Like our, we were so connected, and and everything I would say, he understood. I didn't have to filter it or um, try to speak in his for for people. I would I would speak knowing their reality, and I would. I would speak to fit their reality. And for him, I just spoke my reality and he got it. And then we came together and the journey of that, it's a long journey of coming together. And, but he moved from overseas. So he was living in the UK at the time, but originally from Europe. And he moved over and, and we found out we were pregnant and it all happened really, really fast, but I was okay with it because he was my chosen one. And he, uh, he started to have doubt and his doubt, um, completely triggered my core wound because I made one choice. I chose him. And then when he had doubt, it was like my, the, the deep subconscious that was so like highly protected. It was so highly protected because it was like, oh, um, if I never, if I never choose anyone, it's be, I'm never choosing anyone because um, they don't get me and I'm safe. And then I make one choice, I choose him. And then he has doubt. <laughs> and then this core wound just like, erupted and I didn't understand I, I mean I had no awareness of this at the time but these deep these deep programs and the pain and the suffering of that was my embodiment I, I just became it I was living it and that was the beginning of our of really like our our breakdown and so what I realized was that I had, it was like a, this fan uh, kind of fa fantasy thinking, like, uh, if I meet the one, everything else in the world will be okay. And all, all my issues will be taken care of because I've met the one person in this world that gets me. And then there was a, whole journey with that but he actually was my he was my chosen one that came in to awaken this time capsule of this core wound and actually be the catalyst for me to go on the real journey of recognizing the I am and and that was the most precious gift um of course, like to the ego, that was devastating. And it came with a ton of pain and I'm not going to wrap it up in a bow. Like it was, um, yeah, just this graceful, graceful journey. But that, that was my, the recognition of the I am was, um, so it was crucial for me because I was in a state of suffering over it. And I don't know who else could have done that. 
I don't know who, um, I, I was in partnerships with many people, not many, but people before that, and they weren't directing me to the one because I didn't choose them. Yeah. That's so powerful. It feels like, um, well, I'll use these words. I don't know if they resonate, but that twin flame role where they activate and awaken every shadow, everything that is deep within. And I've had a, a situation with a, a twin flame in life and it, it's, it was the most deeply painful experience I've ever gone through, but allowed for the deepest healing that I've ever gone through. So yeah, um, definitely not wrapped in a bow at the end, of <laughs> but allows that deep, deep work to happen. And so what a gift, but I would imagine it didn't feel like that while you were going into the layers, but on the other side, yeah. Mm. With that, um, the unconscious birth, you've spoken about that, like going back to your own, um, I guess when you were conceived and realizing it wasn't, it wasn't a, a chosen birth or a conscious birth, what did that journey look like to get to that space of realizing that you were an unconscious birth and coming in without that sense of belonging? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, um, yeah, it was total disorientation. Uh, cause you're not, your consciousness hasn't been recognized or located. So it's, yeah, um, total disorientation and never feeling like you fit anywhere, belong anywhere. Um, and then that also, it's interesting because then I go on to study, you know, states of consciousness, all these expanded states of consciousness and, and out of this world and out of this body and expansion where you're no thing and nothing. I was, I was drawn to that because that felt the most familiar. And so that it's so fascinating, Lisa, because um, I, I became like a scholar on, on that. And it's so natural. It, it, it is so natural for me to guide people to like no locations, <laughs> timeless, don't know where you are, all of that. And it's in me and I absolutely can do it. But my whole journey was actually um, to locate myself as that, but in a conscious way. So yeah, anyway, just reflecting on, on that, but um, the journey to, 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 yeah, bringing the awareness into the, the disorientation and that, um, it actually, uh, cause I, I grew up being, uh, my family, you know, we would joke about it. Sometimes it would be the mistake or sometimes it would be the, the surprise and we joke about it. So it's, um, and it was no big deal. This was never any, anything I spent a second on trying to figure out it was just not a big deal. Um, 
but I was in a breath journey. I was in a breath journey with Trevor. Do you know Trevor Yellick? Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. 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 And he, he's, he's been such a, uh, he, he was the way shower for me for many things. Cause, um, uh, I'm always just like a few, I'm, I'm a few steps behind Trevor. And so I, I am like, Oh, when I was searching for the, I am he, I hadn't met anyone in my life that was as relentless to find it as Trevor. And so I was like, Trevor guide me. And he's like, I can't. And anyway, so it, it was all perfect because I had to do it myself. Um, but I, I was doing a breath journey and um, uh, I didn't set out. I can't remember what the, the, the gateway in the, what the gateway inquiry in was. It might've been something something with my mother, like that would have been to clear, to clear any separation, or I think it was the connection. Like I, um, a group grew up, not, uh, not deeply connected to my mom. And I wanted, um, I didn't want that to be my story anymore. And so I think that was the gateway. And, and so I go into the breath journey and then all of a sudden I'm in I'm in womb space and it's like dark and I, and I feel really alone and it's, I'm totally isolated. And I look up and I see my, my mom is like in a trance state and I'm like trying to wake her up and say, Hey, you're having, like, I'm here, I'm here. You're having a baby. Cause she was, it was in the hospital. Like it was almost go time or, but it was just really obvious. She was in a trance state and knowing, um, like there's many reasons why my mom was overwhelmed with having the birth of me. And there's a whole story of that. It's totally understandable, but that understanding of the story doesn't clear the karma. You actually have to feel, you have to feel it. And so I just understood it all on, on an intellectual level. And there was never any issue with it. Um, so I'm in womb space and I'm trying to get her attention and I'm, uh, and I realize like, there's no way I can get her attention. And I'm, I'm, I've, I've had enough experiences with multidimensional perspectives. And so I, something in me, I knew I had to call on her higher consciousness and I called on, I called on her higher consciousness to go get her present day self. And her present day self showed up beside the hospital bed and talked to her and told her she's having a baby and to bring her attention down into the baby and guided her. And then as her attention, her consciousness went in, the womb space started to change color. It became warm and there was light in there. And when uh, another important piece is, so when I was in there and she was in a trance state, like totally oblivious, her attention, not on me, my, I froze my eyes so that it wouldn't be so painful. Like if, if I froze my eyes and I wouldn't be, I wouldn't, I don't know, it was like, I wouldn't need to be seen by her. 
So yeah, my eyes were frozen. And then when uh, her attention came in, the entire environment started to shift and my eyes thawed out and I could see my eyes opened really big. And then I, I felt like I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm going to get birthed. And this is crazy, Lisa, because I, before this, if somebody would have said, oh, you're going to have like a rebirthing experience, I would have laughed at that. Like, oh, that's not part of my journey. And to the seeker, that was like unhurt. I didn't need to do any, anything with the psyche or the psychological path. Like I just needed to recognize my true nature and that was it. So this was like, oh no, I'm, uh, I'm doing what I never expected I would be doing, but there I was. Um, and I felt like the contractions in the room space <laughs> and Trevor, what a champ, like there he is supporting this. And I, so I come out and, um, yeah, through the birth canal come out and then, but the whole birth was conscious for my mom. And then um, what's really fascinating is it was my birthday the next day or two days later. And I received a card from my mom who lives in Vancouver. So she mailed a card and you have to understand like my relationship with my mom is pretty surface level. And so my birthday cards were pretty generic. And then I get the birthday card and I didn't tell her anything of this experience. It's just, it's, it's at that time, it was like um, beyond her, her reality. So, um, and I open up the card and the very first line in the card said, Tanis, I remember the day you were born, your eyes. I remember your eyes and how oh, big wow. they were and how open they were. And Lisa, that for me was like a, the com a confirmation that how wild it seems that um, I could do a breath journey and rebirth myself out of my mom, <laughs> calling <laughs> her higher consciousness and then call her today self to wake her up to this. Oh, and another important piece was that when um, this was all happening, my grandma showed up who has crossed over many years ago, but she showed up and a lineage of the maternal line showed up for the healing. And I realized I was part of the programming because my kids were unconscious and I did not choose and say, I want to have kids. I actually thought like, I'm, I'm a monk. I, you know, I'm, I'm like heading down I'm here to just, um, really be a solo on the path. And, you know, here I am with two children and I didn't consciously choose. And I never grew up thinking I want to be a mother. So it was just this unconscious pattern in this maternal line. And they all came in for the healing. And this gave me the teaching that we're really working generational and that, um, us doing our part and, and clearing our own unconsciousness, not only affects the generations in the past, but, but now will affect, you know, the, the future point forward. Um, 
yeah. So that was, yeah, that was just a really powerful experience. And then having the confirmation come in the waking state real time through my mom who knew nothing about this. Yeah. That's such beautiful confirmation that the work that you do or that each of us does on ourself heals for the next generations to come and the ones before us, like such human validation that the work that you did with that breath journey shifted something within your mom as well. And I know there's a story with your dad. Do you want to share um, the unconscious, unconscious uncoupling, conscious uncoupling? Cause that speaks to what shifted for your mom with that as well. If I'm yeah. Does, does that feel like time to share that story? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this, this again was a very multidimensional experience that I had where, um, it's just sounds so out of the ordinary and then it actually affects the waking state. So, um, my dad, uh, crossed, crossed over transitioned in 2013 and, um, his human self was, he was, um, uh, not, n- not, not very sp- spiritual in the sense of aware of a larger field of reality and interconnectedness. Um, but when he transitioned, it's like, I got to know his, his soul energy very well, so much so that I even, um, I just had a knowing and some interactions with he's, he's a council member now, like he comes into all of any healing work I'm doing or teaching work. I mean, my dad's sitting, his energy is coming right in. So I was in Cyprus in 2015 and I was, um, staying at, uh, a family's house, not my family, but, a, a dear friend and her family and, and just the women there were all, um, uh, they're seers. And one of the daughters said to me, Tannis, I just got, um, like a, a message. Your, your, your dad wants you, um, like he's going to come in. He's, he's going to guide you through something tonight. He's going to come into you and guide you. And it, it's not unusual for me to hear, seers and intuitive say my my dad is around and giving you know messages that's not a big deal at all but the the fact that he's going to guide me through something that was unfamiliar and so I asked her I said well are you going to interpret or how's this going to work she says no like I'm hands off and it was it was an evening it was a very powerful constellation um, cosmic constellation. And we went and sat in this large field and, and, um, I just closed my eyes and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing or what this is. And, and I just had a a very sincere, um, inquiry. And I said, dad, like, if you're guiding me through something, I'm very open for this experience. And I just sat and, and went into quiet internal space. And then my dad's energy comes in and, and it was, it was like through like this telepathic understanding. So he's guiding me and I'm hearing him 
like not a voice, but just this very intuitive knowing. And he said, Tannis, go grab your mother. And I, okay. I said, okay. And I, I grabbed her and she was like in her everyday, like street clothing. I grabbed her. It was almost like I just took her off of the street. And this is where it's so weird. Cause like my time in the night was her like morning. So she was probably out somewhere walking around, like going for a coffee or something. And I just grabbed her and she's totally disoriented. She was looking around and she didn't know where she was. And, um, and there was this large staircase, like this gorgeous white staircase leading up to this platform. And he's and he was walking ahead of us and he, and he said to me, Tannis, observe your mother's clothing. And I thought, okay, that's weird. But we start walking up the stairs and I'm watching her street clothing change into her wedding outfit. And my dad was in his wedding outfit. And as we're walking up the stairs, he said, I'm going to guide you through a ceremony. That's really, it's a, it's a very, it's an important ceremony to understand. And it's, it's called, it's called conscious uncoupling. I was like, okay. Because he, when he transitioned, they were still married. So they still had that vow. So we get up to this platform and I see like thousands of kind of people all dressed in white. Some people I know and lots of people I don't know, but like the soul energy of, of these people. And there's like this altar in the middle. And uh, I, got, I, I bring her to where my dad is standing. And all of a sudden her ring and his ring fly off their fingers and they fly up overhead and crash into each other, merge into each other. And it's this like explosion of energy. And all of a sudden that energy comes into like it, it's being channeled through me. And it felt like I stuck my hand into an electric socket and I was um, getting electrocuted essentially. And my whole, my hair, um, I'm almost certain, like my, my hair was standing on end. My whole body was, was vibrating beyond what I thought I could handle. And my dad was guiding me through this. And he said, because you're still on the physical plane, this energy has to move through your body. And he said, you know how to do this. You've been practicing tools of yoga for a long time. Breathe this energy through your body. And so for about 15 minutes, I'm breathing, like very conscious, intentional breathing, moving this energy through my body. And as I'm doing this, my dad is giving me like the teachings in that this, this bond, this vow this contract they had, it has an energy to it. And it's not just like, oh, it has an energy to it. I was breathing for 15 minutes. Like my life depended on it, this energy through my body. So um, like a direct experience of the contract that they had. And he said that because um, people didn't understand, or it wasn't in the consciousness to understand that, um, so he transitioned and they were still married. It binded them for future incarnations. So they're not free. And one of the biggest gifts he could give to him and to my mom and whatever 
is a conscious uncoupling to free themselves so that they have choice. They don't have to keep repeating and working things out, but that it could be choice in the next incarnation. So, um, yeah, that, that was like, it's, it's, it just gave me this understanding, like everything is coming into conscious awareness. So even like when people are transitioning, that has to be brought into conscious awareness, whatever contracts are, are still in place. Um, so that we're, we're really doing the work with our karma, like really cleaning our karma. Um, so that we don't have to keep reincarnating, uh, to keep cleaning it up or to keep, um, moving through. So then, um, that whole, after that, after the energy moved through me for 15 minutes, um, I asked my dad, I said, well, um, what else, you know, is there anything else I need to do? And he said, no, um, it will shift something on your mom's end. And then, um, she was hot. Like she's, she's kind of the per type of person that she really is a trooper or a warrior. And she just like puts her head down and keeps going, but she, I could there, she was having like a hard time of letting go. And then, um, a bit later after that experience, I, I contacted her and I, I didn't tell her about that again, um, just a little bit beyond what is really understandable. And I asked her if she would be open to seeing a healer that I knew in Vancouver. And, and normally my mom would say no, because again, she's like the warrior type and she's not really interested in, in healers. And she said, yes, I would be. And, um, and the healer suggested that she write a letter, like a liberating, like really freeing and letting my dad go. And she wrote a letter and she wrote everything that she was still holding on to and that she didn't know she needed to say to him. Cause at the time, maybe it wasn't clear, but in reflection after his, his death and this whole long, however many pages of the letter. And then she went to the ocean and she said in that moment, it was gray and overcast like Vancouver. And then um, the clouds started to, to part and the sun came out and she just knew something shifted in that moment when she released the letter into the ocean and really um, uh, letting go. That was her, her piece of surrender. And so, yeah, that was like um, another multidimensional kind of experience with a, uh, a confirmation in the physical plane as well. I think that's such an important message right now. Cause sometimes I know for myself, like on the healing journey, it can feel like with the current state of the world that what's the point, you know, there's so much, um, distortion happening that we're clearing through. And those stories just speak so beautifully that everything we do for ourselves, we do for the collective or our loved ones. And it does shift. Like it's really moving mountains when we're doing our own healing and, and we're contributing to this collapse, 
I'll call it a collapse. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, what word to use at the minute um, of this like, yeah, great time of change that we're going through on the planet. So it's, it's really necessary and powerful to do our own work right now for you, just because earlier on in the conversation, I think we began with kind of that sense of not belonging, you know, and that's been part of the the compass, maybe throughout your journey of, of finding that state of belonging. Has that come where it's like you're feeling that belonging on this planet and and the safety as well? And, and so has that felt like it's it's come for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I no longer feel like I'm watching the game from the sidelines. And it was, yeah, that, that, mm, that distortion field that was keeping me, it's like a repulsion field in a sense, like it, I couldn't get close. I couldn't get in. And so that repulsion field collapsed. Um, Yes, when the I am was recognized. So, and then all the thought forms that were being generated from that, which were keeping me feeling separate, collapsed completely. And then it just got more reinforced when there was greater connection to my mother, to, you know, the the life force energy, the initial life force energy coming through the mother and, um, connection is a big, uh, that that's been a big thing of feeling connected to other people that really, that was the seeker's journey too. I feel so disoriented here and with other human beings, I'm going to go for God. I'm going to go to the master source and yeah, right now it's really, um, deep connection with, with other people and this cert, you know, the longing for God is not so strong. It's not, it's because it's, it's always there now. God is in everything and everyone source creation goddess all of it um yeah yeah what is that are there any like tangible tools that come to mind with that anchoring into the body because what it felt like when you were speaking that is just you've arrived in your body in your physical form on this planet and everything meets you in that space. The, the creator meets you in that space. God is within everybody. Goddess is within everybody. Um, so does anything come to mind or, or tools that you've used to create that safety in the body and to like be in your body? Yeah, great question. Um, I've had, I've had to, I've had to, bring the divinity in and live it in the everyday life because this is, um, yeah, I, I, because I'm, I'm needing, I had to embrace the householder life and, and being 
in the kids' schedules and, and um, not traveling anywhere, not going anywhere, not going to, um, like before kids, I would go to India numerous times a year and I would make sure that I was in retreats often and um, going to the sacred sites. That was a big thing. I spent a lot of time going to sacred sites. And then fast forward, I'm like, I felt like, yeah, not even just the last two years being locked down, but um, it was this, this, my, my free soul, it was like in lockdown, not accepting or understanding the archetype of the mother and how deep and full and rich it is, but being um, almost like, oh, this is my obstacle as opposed to, no, this is my way. (laughs) So I had to figure it out, Lisa, if, if, um, yeah, if, if, if I wanted to be here, I had to figure it out. And so I had to learn how to occupy the body. Um, a teacher that is brilliant at this is Judith, Judith Blackstone. Her teachings in inhabiting the body were so key. And she sees inhabiting the body and non-dualism almost as the same path. And so learning that being in your body does not mean that you're doing things for your body. So going to yoga class, eating healthy, going for a run, taking a bath, self-care, none of that actually means you're living and occupying the space in your body. And that was a big mental trap to get through. Like, oh, I'm doing all these things. Why, why can't I handle these situations? And then the mind goes, oh, well, go back, go, go and do more, go and do more. And I'm like, well, I can't, I don't have that time. I can't do a gazillion practices. And that was actually really key because it direct, it actually like stopped me from doing, 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 doing more and realizing, no, I actually have to just get inside my body. And I have to, to dissolve and soften any mental concept that I'm in my body and actually, and actually sense and connect to the life force energy that's in me. And then, um, I had to learn how to feel. This sounds so elementary, but we're not. I wasn't taught as a child how to feel my feelings and I didn't teach my, I didn't teach my older child and my younger one taught me that I need to learn how to feel my feelings. Um, because he, he had a lot of tantrums and I just thought, Oh, I already raised a kid (laughs) kind of well, I think I should know how to do this, but I didn't. And when my little one was throwing tantrums, I, I had to, I either went to, to numbing disconnection, pretending like it wasn't happening, or I was throwing a tantrum with him and I didn't know how to handle that situation. And so, um, 
how to stay inside your body and feel your feelings and feel the emotional waves was so key and um a tool that and i i share this with like who you know whoever i'm working with or bringing through a journey it's to stop drop and feel and so when when the mind is in a knot or the mind is in a program and the thoughts are relentless or it's like and and there's this i need to get out of this i need to get out of this like and you're about to go into distraction your coping strategy that for me is like the moment you can catch that you stop physically because the body is conditioned to go into the coping strategy and so you stop and this is the biggest leap is from the head to the body and you let go. And I'd put my hands on my body and I start to feel at first, um, breaking it down into sensation was really important. Sorry, I'm just going to plug in my computer. Um, breaking it down into sensation was really important so that it's more manageable. And often, um, it's going to be in the, three energy centers, the solar plexus, the heart and the throat. And you feel the sensations in these areas. And then um, what we tend to do is brace against them because we can't handle them. And so you really allow the sensations and the feelings and the emotion to actually expand and take up as much space in your body. So you have more surface area to stay with it and embodied. And so you're not abandoning, you're not trying to get away from it. You're not coping and, oh, I'll go do a yoga practice and then it'll make everything feel better. Yeah, it will, but you haven't actually solved this issue and it's not solving it with the mind. It's growing the capacity for your body to feel while you stay online. And then some other like deeper tools would be to track it back to the unconscious, to the, the earlier version or the timeline where the psyche crafted that belief system or that feeling, and then bring that into conscious awareness. So that's more like adding it into the shadow work. One of the teachers that was so pivotal on my journey, her name's Catherine Liggett. And um, she was my guide to um, the journey, the journey really of, of staying with it, embodiment, and then tracking it back to the shadow and the unconscious. And then um, when you do that, you meet that timeline and you connect with your consciousness at that time. And this is like, this is so not unusual for me anymore. This is like just the way it is. Our wandering mind is a gift, but often it gets us into like, because um, we, we get stuck, we wander into the past and we stay identified and we get stuck or we wander into the future and we get stuck. Our mind, we can go back to any point and we're holding our story in our body. And that's why we know best because we know our story. Our, our consciousness has been registering every single moment of our life. We know best we're holding it. I had, um, uh, I can't even, um, 
like I, I tried to block out childhood because I was so disoriented. So I had no conscious, like not a ton of conscious memories of childhood. Like my sister, on the other hand, thought she grew up in like a fairy tale and had the best childhood and remembers everything. I did not remember a single thing. So I thought, oh, there's no way I can do shadow work. I can't remember anything, but it's not conscious remembering. It's connecting with the deeper subconscious, which is the body. And then um, you're making contact with that part of your consciousness, bringing it forward into view, feeling and embracing what you couldn't have at that time. And then growing up from it, becoming the conscious parent that, um, yeah, that, that you, that you didn't have, or that you weren't. And so, yeah, those are the tools like really pervading your whole body. And I try to do that. I might do that like hundreds of times throughout the day because it's so easy to get bumped out. And the moment that my mind feels like it's in a issue or a problem, or it's worried about something or it's stressed about something, that's my opportunity to drop from the mind because it's fascinating. The mind will go into its story of trying to solve it. And it goes into an infinite dimension of complex thinking, but you're bypassing the body. And so I drop into the body and say, okay, here we go. Let's feel, we have to feel it all without any judgment or identity. And there's some feelings that are way easier than others. Anger is super difficult to stay with rage, like huge, um, deep sorrow and grief. These are hard ones to stay with. It's possible, but they're difficult, but you have to really make a commitment and understand that, um, the way, the way forward is the way in with the body. Your body has to walk with you the whole way so that you're not bypassing anything. Um, yeah, those mm -hmm. are, those are the tools. Those are big ones, big ones for sure. And what it felt like, like feeling the feelings and my twin flame that showed up in my life activated the deepest grief I've ever experienced in my life. And what a gift to open up that well and just clear all that, all those feelings that have been held or repressed deep within for so long. And what it felt like when you were speaking to that is like when you go and follow the thread to where that was decided or that truth was decided or that belief that's still deep within the, the subconscious mind, it's when that reparenting starts to take place and you can bring the subconscious or the unconscious on board. So it's not lingering deep, deep, deep within the shadows and, and dictating the ship. And, and steering how our life is, is playing out with that. What has been your biggest lesson along the way? Well, maybe like these kind of, these tie in together, but um, the one we spoke about in order to parent my children consciously, I really needed to reparent myself. Like you can, 
read books, which are super helpful, like parenting books were, were very helpful. And, but a lot of the parenting has been passed down and, and, um, it's like my, my kids just like, we're onto it. They're like, mm, 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 no, no, I'm not listening to that passed down program. And, and I just, um, yeah, I just didn't know what to do. Like, oh, you're not okay. Then I'll discipline you. And then no, it's like this, it just wasn't working. But when I have lived through it and I have touched that inside of myself, like just quick. Um, so when my little one would throw tantrums and he'd be so angry and I was trying to figure out how to solve the world for him. So he wouldn't be angry. It didn't work. And he got angrier and angrier and angrier. When I reparented myself and I met my angry one, the one that was so angry and, and I was in conscious connection with her. She wanted to be angry and be held in it and just be seen in it, acknowledged in it and maybe unconditionally aware and loving and loving really is that unconditional awareness, like an infinite field that no matter what goes on here, you're included. You're not, I'm not abandoning you. And when I had that direct realization with my son, it's like, okay, he just needs, I, when I started to just really deeply acknowledge and see him in his anger and not try to change it and not try to solve it he, that's all he needed. He needed me to know he was angry and that's it. Like I'm, I'm not giving him things because he's angry or not giving him things because he's angry or this or that. It's like, you're playing Russian roulette every single moment of, okay, if I give you this, or if I don't give you this, what is that going to lead to? It's just see, acknowledge, and, um, that was the, the, the deep teaching from Catherine Liggett was the empathic witnessing empathically witness what is going on, bring consciousness into it. So that was probably one of the biggest lessons in the more recent years was really, um, yeah, about the reparenting my, myself in this. Um, and, and that we can use these multidimensional states very consciously, and they do absolutely shift and change timelines. Like it's, it's not this wishful thinking. It's, um, it just is because of who and what we are. It just is this. That's a big one. What it felt like is that there's that realization with your little one, with your son, like his anger doesn't need to be fixed. And so often we're like trying to fix all this stuff within ourselves. And it's like, nothing needs to be fixed. It just needs to be acknowledged and loved and honored. Just like, you know, like our society very much um, encourages the light us, the lighter aspects of life, you know, like just look like you've got it all together. Like, your life is perfect. We're going to celebrate that and encourage that. And it's like, no, those, those shadow aspects need to be encouraged and loved. 
and celebrated just as much. There's nothing, nothing, you know, quote unquote wrong with them. They're, they're necessary and part of it. Yeah. How, um, how do you experience the mysteries? Um, I think that the mysteries can show up in like really grand ways, kind of like some of those experiences I, I had with the different timelines. Um, but for me, the mystery, this is a, it's here all of the time and it's just, um, the, when, when my mental filters are more quiet, I can absolutely know and see and tune in. It's more obvious, but it's always here. When I'm not analyzing, um, trying to figure it out, then the fact, even like just right now, like I just, it's mind blowing. This moment is just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. It's all a mystery. It's all, it's all, it's just an, an incredible, an incredible experience. Um, the more filters I put on the experience, the more separated I feel from the mystery. And so, but that can shift in a split second. Yeah. You know, it's like um, tuning the radio station, all the stations are available right in this exact moment from the most mundane to the most miraculous. And it can be one shift away and it can happen. And it's right here all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. Are there any stories of synchronicity that you have that you want to share? Yeah, I'll share the, how I met my husband. And, and again, this, this was a big teaching because it was so synchronistic. And so my mind was like, this is so synchronistic. It just reinforced that, whoa, he's the one, even though I'm, it, it wasn't in the way that, um, I thought, and he, yes, he was the one to, to guide me to my big realization, but he wasn't the one the ego thought was our happily ever after story, but the synchronistic um, flow of events that led us together was really, it's fascinating. So yeah, I'll share that. Um, so a, a few months before I met him in Israel on this spiritual journey, I was sitting with a friend up in Edmonton and I was teaching a training and I was at her house and, um, she was in conversation. She was telling me she was exploring more sound healing and asked me if I knew of this sound channeler healer named Yantera. And I hadn't. So she pulled up his, his information on his website and on the website, there was kind of on the, on the side of the website, it was a gallery flipping through different photos and it would pause on a photo for a while and then flip through another one. And one of the photos came up of a retreat that Yantara was guiding and it was at Mount Shasta and there was a sky standing there and it paused on the image and my eyes went straight to his bracelet and he had um, some ceremonial jewelry on. And I was just really drawn to his 
bracelet. And I, it was like imprinted into me because the, the photo stopped, my eyes went there and I took in the bracelet and then whatever, continue on. And I, I get to, um, Israel and, um, we're the first day we're all meeting each other. There's a, a huge banquet hall with, there was 333 people on this journey, but you're assigned to a specific bus and you really only see the people on your bus. And I think there was like 25 or 27 people on per bus because it was such a large gathering. You go to the sites at different times and, but then you all congregate together for the channelings. And so, um, I look around and I was in the banquet hall, just sort of taking in the whole view of everyone that's there. And I see this guy there and I see this, the bracelet (laughs) and it was a very unique bracelet. Like it's not, um, it's a, it's a unique one of a kind bracelet. So, um, but my mind's not registering like, oh, he's the one in the photo, but I just, I'm really fixated. Like time stops. My eyes are drawn to his bracelet. And then after breakfast, we're assigned our bus and I get on my bus and I'm walking down the hall and I see, I'm like, oh my God, there's the bracelet. And I see the guy. And then um, a few days into the trip, we meet each other and it was a very, very strong connection. And I'm not thinking at this time, like, oh, he's my chosen one and he's my future husband. I'm just really present. My mind wasn't active and we had an incredible journey and trip and spent most of our time after we met together. And at the end of the trip, when I was leaving to go back to Canada, he was staying for longer. He said, um, I have a gift for you. And, um, he pulls out or he takes off, like he pulls up his shirt and he takes off his bracelet (laughs) and he puts it on my arm or on my wrist. And he said, um, I really want you to have this. And then fast forward a few months or about eight months later, he flies to Canada, reconnect. And then a few months later after that, we're married. Um, so that was um, from looking at a computer screen to, you know, sitting in Edmonton, having no idea who this person is, meeting a few months later in Israel, um, having the bracelet on my arm, and then actually being wed to him, (laughs) um, all within a year is, um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Quite a synchronistic flow of events. Yeah. Yeah. The goddess will web for you, Mm -hmm. for you to meet this man for sure. And again, um, my, yeah, my, the ego, ego, body, mind, um, created in a sense, not during all those events. Cause I was really just in presence, mm. but afterwards, of course it was my ego, body, mind drew, um, the story I wanted to really receive from it and then link it back to all the synchronistic, but it was, we were destined to meet and there, um, fast transformational change came from it 
and um and and understanding that that larger perspective was actually for my highest good yeah and and his yeah for every all the highest good for everyone involved yeah beautiful how do you root into the self um so like i said pervading the body is is really important so every morning waking up that is a reminder to me to get in the body coming from the most expansive field of deep sleep um just like we put on our clothes in the day or get dressed i get inside my body every morning and then i might need to do it multiple times throughout the day uh connecting with nature is so big i go for walks and that's when then that's actually when my downloads come in. I don't get downloads in meditation. I get downloads when I walk in nature. Um, and then dancing. So, um, moving to, um, music where, uh, not just like radio music, but, um, music where, whoever is creating it is really connected and with, um, strong intention. And then I move in uninhibited ways. And that's really helps me root as well. Mm, dance is such a powerful one to just let your body take the lead and do what it, do what it needs to do. Cause it, it often knows best or maybe always knows best on our healing path of what it needs to move and shake and release. Is there anything that you want to add to this beautiful conversation before we close any offerings that you have coming up? Hmm. Um, I do, I do have, there's an offering coming up. Uh, I'm co-facilitating with um, Danielle Pichet and it will be, it's kind of like a day camp that we're running this out in Invermere, BC, and it's on June 20th to the 24th. And so the morning times will be um, through conscious movement. And Danielle teaches a masterful class of um, critical alignment. And in a way, it, it, it's, we, we deeply complement each other's work. Um, and then in the afternoon, I'll be guiding and exploring more really what we've just talked about is how to explore in a, an embodied way, these different, these, these deeper belief constructs that are self, I, that we're self-identified with, and that's distorting our, our, um, our perception and the reality that we're living within. So yeah, we'll be exploring that in the afternoon in an embodied way. Um, and other than that, I'm just, um, I'm really focused on privates right now as I'm crafting how to teach this more in a group setting. So I haven't really created any uh, group stuff yet. So private, I do private mentoring sessions. And as I stepped back from, from formal group trainings, and it's not that I won't ever teach them again, but it was a really necessary, um, 
shift that I needed to do and in right timing, maybe I'll do that again. So yeah, people can connect with me through my website. Mm, Beautiful. And I'll be in the show notes where everybody can reach out to you and experience your, your medicine and your magic. So thank you so much for this beautiful conversation. Thank you so much, Lisa, for having me as your guest on here. And it's yeah, such a pleasure to be in space with you. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. Please like, share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode. And I will see you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.